Support for WFIU News comes from the IU Alumni Association, now offering IU Proud, a member program designed for recent graduates and those facing economic hardship. More information at alumni.iu.edu join. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with my co-host today, Bento Boutier. Today we're going to be talking about legalization of iGaming in Indiana. We have three guests. Christine Riley is Senior Research Director for the International Center for Responsible Gaming. Chris Gray is Executive Director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. And we have Matt Bell, who's the president and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, toll-free at 877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. And finally, we're on Twitter, so you can send us questions there. We are at Noon Edition. Benta, it's great to have you here. Thanks. All right. The second time Benta and I have co-hosted together, so we uh, we are promising you a great show because we have great guests. We always have great guests. And I'm going to turn to Matt Bell first. Matt is president and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana. Could you uh, sort of give us the – just the overview of, of how things are going in gaming in Indiana. And then our specific topic today, uh, can we expect to see iGaming back as an agenda item uh, in the legislature next year? Well, thanks so much for having me, Bob. It's uh, great to be on and, and really appreciate y'all dedicating some time to talking about what we believe is a really important issue for the state of Indiana, and, and that is uh, iGaming and, and the state of the Casino Association overall. Um, I would begin by telling you that the state of the industry is strong. Um, for the fiscal year that, that wrapped up uh, in June, uh, Indiana uh, benefited from more than a billion dollars in revenue from gaming fees and taxes from our industry. And that's the first time in 10 years that we've exceeded a billion dollars in, in funding for the state. That funding is vital uh, to the state budget, um, supports any number of initiatives uh, from road building to education um, and, and down the list. So um, our, our properties are world-class. Um, the leadership of our properties are outstanding. Um, and they're really committed to providing great experiences for customers and patrons from across the state. Um, overall, um, folks wagered about two and a half billion dollars. Uh, that was that was our win last year. Um, and, uh, and that does not include uh, sports wagering, which has been incredibly popular since launching in Indiana in September of 2019. Uh, more than $4 billion has been wagered by Hoosiers uh, in the ensuing three years and two months now. So the state of the industry is very strong. Um, and it's a credit, I think, to the leadership of those casinos who responded so well to the challenges of the COVID pandemic. Uh, they were closed for 91 days during, during the, the height of the pandemic. Um, they reopened, um, adjusted their business model, ensured the safety of all their team members and guests, and found great ways to offer just world-class entertainment opportunities. Um, the industry remains very interested and very excited about the possibility of authorizing and legalizing iGaming in the state of Indiana. We've seen now seven jurisdictions in total, six with full iGaming offerings, and a seventh Nevada limited only to online poker, um, offer that legal authorized opportunity to the citizens of their states. And and the citizens have responded. Um, they've shown a desire to take advantage of those offerings to play in legal regulated markets 
And what we've found is it opens the door to a new player for us. About 80 to 85% of the folks that we meet through iGaming uh, have not been in a brick and mortar casino in about a year in some of the other markets where this has been prevalent. Um, we believe it'll, it'll help us reach a little bit younger demographic, but the goal is not really uh, uh, iGaming for the sake of iGaming. We see iGaming as an opportunity to introduce our properties to players who may not have ever set foot in them before. Once we can build a relationship with them online, they're much more likely to come into our facilities and take, take advantage of the variety of world-class amenities that we offer from spas to great horse racing in Anderson and Shelbyville to shops and incredible shows and concert venues and food options as well. Uh, so we think it's an important part of the future. Um, we're hopeful that the legislature will entertain proposals to authorize legal iGaming in the state of Indiana and excited about the future and what it promises for our properties and for Hoosiers. I want to ask uh, Chris Gray next. So, Chris, you're executive director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gaming. So, is is iGaming, uh, would that create any issues in your mind where, you know, you would be concerned about having it in the state? Well, um, first of all, the council itself is... I think we lost Chris Gray. So I'm going to turn to Christine uh, Riley, Senior Research Director for the International Center for Responsible Gaming. Uh, what, what exactly does your center do, and can you define responsible gaming? Do we lose Christine? In Indiana, it oh. opens the door to uh, more problem, more people having problems. The thing that we're trying to work on is getting the people that may have problems to be aware that it is considered a disease and that there is help out there. All right. Thanks, Chris. We, we had lost you for just a second there, so we, I think we got your, your main points. I appreciate that. Um, Christine, from your perspective, uh, what is responsible gaming and um, how does – you know, iGaming fit into that? Well, responsible gambling is really a form of prevention, which you find in all the fields of addiction, efforts to keep people from drinking excessively and so on. And so responsible gambling uh, programs uh, do several things. One, they try to help people moderate their patterns of gambling. They try to help them maybe figure out if they do have a problem or are getting close to having a problem and a lot of the operators you know let customers know where they can get help like a helpline or um a lot of self-help information for people who are already over the the line and already could be diagnosed with a gambling disorder so it covers that whole range and now iGaming does offer a lot of interesting ways to promote responsible gambling because one you can you have this intimate relationship with the customer like you can set up algorithms and if somebody seems to be gambling excessively um, and again that's an issue that we need to talk about and what what's considered excessive um, you can send them a, a, a responsible gambling message or you can give them the opportunity to close their account or to limit the deposits. I mean, there are a lot of things that iGaming companies in Europe have been doing for some time, and I think they feel like they've been very successful. The thing is, we don't have enough research on it yet to really advise the operators how to proceed. So this is one of the priorities for the International Center for Responsible Gaming is to fund more research on this issue. Yeah, and I actually had planned to ask about algorithms ahead of time. It was in my notes. So I guess this could be for any of you, but social media platforms have received a lot of criticism for having algorithms that sort of encourage their users to refresh and keep refreshing their pages. What kind of restrictions do already exist or could exist on algorithms to prevent that from being the case in online gambling? Well, one thing that 
can be done is you can simply ask your customers if they would like to opt in to a program of limits. In other words, give the operator permission to to warn me if I'm exceeding the time, because time spent gambling is also an indication of a problem. It's not just how much money is spent and lost. And then also they can limit their um, the deposits that they make and they can agree to be uh, contacted from the operator about exceeding their limits. Um, we are funding a project right now that's looking at that issue. We don't have any results yet, but yeah, then the issue becomes, is it a, should be a voluntary thing or should it be something that the company just does? I believe in Europe, for example, Entain, which is a big iGaming company, I think that's just part of the, their their game. They just, uh, customers just have to accept, accept the fact that they will be contacted uh, with responsible gambling. Um, we can't hear you anymore, but I did have a follow-up question, and I think this would be better directed to Matt. And I'm just wondering what's to stop people if it's online um, from out of state to come in and use an online casino? What's to stop someone from Ohio from using an United. Indiana online casino? Can I can I address that question as well? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, we. Um, I was with the Gaming Commission, the actual with the Indiana Gaming Commission for 20 years, and. Uh, one of the things right before I left to go work for the council, the uh, we did the rules for fantasy sports. And one of the big concerns for uh, the gaming, the Indiana Gaming Commission was to protect the consumer. So we looked at a number of things that fantasy sports should include when they went to go online. One of them was we looked closely at how they were going to uh, verify the age of whoever was signing on simply because uh, you have to be 21 to do most of the gambling here in Indiana. That includes the casinos, sports betting, as well as fantasy sports. So uh, that was one thing we, we looked at. The other thing was allowing the uh, patron to be able to set their own limits if they wanted to do that, as well as sign up for what we call the voluntary exclusion program, where if the person felt that they had an issue, wanted to take a break, they could sign up and ask to be excluded. Okay. Um, so if I can, oh, oh, go ahead, ma'am, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, um, no worries. I guess. I am not a programmer. I don't know a ton about algorithms, but I'm just wondering if these protections entail preventing anything from being too intelligent or learning too much about the people part participating. Well, the one thing is you're not gonna be anonymous. That was the one thing that we knew, but I think they had to, they, can, they limit what they can, um, what they can see, if that makes sense. I think it's limited to basically what they can tell you, basically what you bet, how often you bet, when you bet. So there are some things out there that they can tell you, but I think it's contained within their parameters of that particular type of gaming. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, let me add a couple of things there, if I may. <clears throat> First of all, um, uh, as an industry, um, it's really important to thank both Ms. Riley and Ms. Gray uh, for the work they do leading responsible gaming initiatives. Um, this is a focus for our industry uh, nationwide and around the globe. Um, as we look at, at, at the industry, it's, it's, it's certainly more than just words. Um, you know, the six largest casino companies alone invest about $45 million annually in promoting responsible gaming. Our industry is healthy when we have folks who game responsibly in the same way that a restaurant or bar is healthy when folks consume alcohol responsibly. Problem gaming is not something we take lightly and, and um, our commitment to that is resolute. Uh, Indiana, and, and I think Ms. Gray did a wonderful job of describing some of the safeguards that have been put in place around responsible gaming since gaming was really authorized back in 1993, um, say, uh, has room to improve. 
Um, and I think our industry wants to wants to be a partner in in promoting more responsible gaming initiatives throughout the state. Um, I believe that iGaming offers tremendous opportunities to do that. I think it would offer us an opportunity to really modernize the state's responsible gaming program, um, to draw on best practices from across the country and ensure that for that very small percentage, as has been mentioned, of problem gamers that exist, there's a robust network uh, that's readily available to meet them in their time of need. Um, I think Ms. Riley is also correct that online offers incredible opportunities, some of which don't exist today at brick and mortar casinos. You know, it's very difficult to know how much a player is wagering in a brick and mortar casino as they move from table to table, game to game, or from casino to casino. On the other hand, via an online platform, uh, we're able to track that very closely, offer some of the opt-in, uh, track behavior and time spent on gaming, as Ms. Riley said. And I think the other important thing to uh, to mention as we as we continue this conversation is that there are there are folks in Indiana today, and and really anyone who wants to in Indiana today to play casino games online can do so. Um, they're doing them at illegal offshore sites that don't have the same kind of commitment to responsible gaming uh, that our members do, and that 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 folks who uh, are members of the American Gaming Association do. So by offering a legal and regulated opportunity, I think we have a better chance to promote responsible gaming to all players as they migrate to a legal platform rather than the illegal platforms which are readily available today. Let me give our numbers again. If you want to join our conversation today, you can call us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us your questions, news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Send us your questions there. Um, Matt Bell, I I just wanted to ask you, I should reintroduce you as well, President and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana, and while I'm at it, I'll reintroduce Christine Riley, Senior Research Director for the International Center for Responsible Gaming, and Chris Gray, the Executive Director of the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. Matt, I just wanted to to get your perspective because I know you were in the legislature before. You've been following the issue of of, um, legal gaming in Indiana for a long time, as have I. I'm kind of an older guy. And I was here when, you know, when the lotteries first started and people in the legislature were would say things like, we're not going to go a step further than having lottery, you know, the, the lottery in Indiana. And then, then we went a few steps further and we have casinos. Um, and they had to be riverboat casinos for a long time. And then we've gone steps further to have sports gambling, the, the, uh, the sports books. And... You know, I, I wonder, is there, is this the last step, online gambling, is it the last step in what we could have? Or, you know, how, how has gaming grown so much in the last couple of decades? So it's a great question, sir, and, and one that we could spend a lot of time answering, but I would say a couple of things. Um, number one, uh, it's grown because we have fantastic gaming operators in the state of Indiana who are committed to the integrity of gaming and committed to providing a world-class experience for folks. You know, Riverboat Gaming Act, um, which is now what, um, you know, um, uh, certainly, uh, what, 1993, uh, almost 30 years old, um, uh, Really, uh, Indiana became the first state in the Midwest to authorize legal casino gaming when it when it did so. Um, I think the legislature rightly uh, took a careful approach and said, we want to understand this industry. Um, there were fears of, of what might accompany the entrance of the industry into the state of Indiana, fears of increased crime, fears of um, increases in gambling addiction. And I think legislators waded into the water very carefully. What I think we've seen um, in the ensuing almost 30 years is that the public has robustly welcomed and accepted the opportunity to wager legally in a variety of forms. The market is responsive to its customers. Um, We want to go where our customers lead us. We wanna do that responsibly. We wanna do that with integrity. We wanna do that in a way that benefits the state. We wanna promote economic development and tourism which when we look back to the enacting legislation were the reasons that the uh, that the industry was allowed to, to exist in Indiana to begin with. 
Um, so when you ask if this is the last iteration of gaming, um, I'll tell you that I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know because I think that um, consumer demand will and should uh, continue to determine where the industry goes in the future. Um, any, any changes in the gaming landscape, though, will be met with an unshakable commitment to integrity, uh, to responsible gaming, and to promoting economic development and tourism in the state of Indiana and being those economic drivers in our host communities. Matt, I, I appreciate that answer. I, I wanted to ask you just for some clarification because, you know, when, when the um, online sports betting was allowed or sports betting was allowed in Indiana, we started seeing, you know, television ads and hearing radio ads for all sorts of casinos and here's how you can make your first bet and we're going to we're going to give you this incentive to make your first bet and all these kind of things i'm i'm kind of confused as to what's what's new with online gaming i mean that's online gaming right you know in a way but what so what's what are the additions we're going to have we would have with this kind of online gaming I appreciate the question, um, and, and it's one that we are often asked. When we talk about iGaming, we're talking about the opportunity for Hoosiers to legally play the games that they would enjoy on a casino floor. Slot games, traditional table games, um, and to have an experience um, through an electronic device that would mirror that that they would have on a gaming floor. So it's a, it, it, it is certainly an expansion of what's available today to Hoosiers online, um, but it's one that we've seen um, play out uh, to the benefit of the states in which it's been legalized, most notably Michigan to our north. Um, so, so, we're, so what we're talking about is uh, the opportunity to play the games that folks love to come into our facilities and play on their electronic devices within the state of Indiana. Okay, thank you. Benta? Um, yeah, so going off of that a little bit, Indiana could potentially be joining, I think it's Connecticut, Delaware, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New Jersey, and Nevada for online gaming. So what do all of these states have in common? Why Indiana next? Matt, you want to try so I that? I feel like I'm probably talking yeah. too much, but I'm, I'm happy Sorry. to start if no one else wants to. Go right ahead, Matt. Thanks. Um, so I think there are a couple of reasons that uh, iGaming uh, makes a lot of sense in Indiana. One is the fact that uh, online sports wagering is a legal and authorized activity. Um, that occurred in 2019. And I say that because much of the infrastructure that we would ask our regulator to put in place already exists around sports wagering. We think that it is a, a, a relatively speaking uh, easy process um, to transfer that infrastructure to iGaming. Um, we're, not, we're not necessarily embarking on new territory in Indiana. Uh, the regulatory infrastructure is there. Um, so so from, a, from a state perspective and why Indiana, um, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's from a regulatory standpoint, something that should offer everyone comfort. Um, what we've learned in, in the other markets, and again, I would point out that Nevada is a little bit different in Nevada, um, the online or the iGaming opportunities are limited to poker only. In the other jurisdictions that you mentioned, you have the full cadre of games that are available within a casino or the vast majority of games that are available within a casino available to players. So, um, go ahead. Oh, no. Um, sorry, I just thought of a question I'm, I was thinking about. So people can spend money in a lot of different types of games. They can buy different skins and stuff like this for their games. So what does this, does this open up potential for people to spend money in a similar or new way in other types of games that don't necessarily include gambling? Maybe that's not a super relevant question to you, but something just popped to my head. Um, I'll tell you, it's something that um, the we've been looking at, not only in Indiana, but across the United States. We've discussed what we consider um, problem gaming, which is kind of a little bit different. And you're correct that um, it, it is being looked at to see whether or not they, they'll consider this gambling. But they do spend money in video gaming on, as you said, skins, loot boxes, 
um, those, you know, that, that kind of, of gambling is going on. And one other thing, you, you went through all the different types of gambling in Indiana. I do want to include charity gaming. A lot of people don't think about charity gaming as gambling, but it also is gambling. Matt, did you have the, another point you want to make? No, no, y'all go ahead. Okay, great. I just wanted to ask uh, both Christine and Chris about you know the um, you know Matt, Matt has talked a lot about all the all the um, dedication to making sure that gambling is done in a in a very um, just. A very, with a lot of integrity around the state of Indiana. And I, j- I just wanted to talk about some of the concerns that you might have. And, and have you studied these other seven or eight states? Uh, Christine, I guess I would ask you from, from your center, have you studied these seven or eight states in terms of uh, iGaming? And does it? You, you talked about some of the advantages of it. Have you seen any issues of, you know, irresponsible gaming, I guess, that that come uniquely from iGaming? It's really too soon. Um, The research base is on this issue is very thin. And that's why Mm -hmm. we're plowing a lot of money into research on iGaming, responsible gambling. For example, a lot of the responsible gambling programs are not really backed up with research. We just don't know. You know, we don't know if they're safe. We don't know if they're effective. And so we have a big push on to study those. I I understand the concerns that people have because with iGaming, you know, the person is alone and uh, the easy accessibility and all of that. And that all could be true. But at this point in time, there's no research that says that iGaming is any more dangerous than any other form of gambling. We have to remember that people get into trouble with gambling with all kinds of gambling, bingo, lottery, you know, not just casinos and not just online. We're also doing a major study on sports wagering. And of course, a lot of the sports wagering is being done online. And so that's in process right now. And at the end of the month, we will have a report out on the findings, the preliminary findings from that study. But as I said before, the body of research on this is mainly in Europe. And the question is, can you apply those findings to the United States. All right, Chris? Um, yes, uh, Christine pointed out a, a number of, of uh, things that are quite true. The fact that there has not been uh, enough research done. There were a couple of things that um, the NCPG, which is the National Council on Problem Gambling, they have done a couple of uh, surveys. And one of the ones that they did back in 2018 um, was that they looked at people's perceptions of gambling and different types of gambling, and they did it for each state. And the report was a, a little bit eye-opening for the state of Indiana. Um, it it verified a couple of things that, that we were thinking that about 5% of the population uh, can have a potential problem. There is 1% that is pathological, what we consider having a very uh, a large addiction to problem gambling. And so I think that the, you know, we do need more research and they talk about the fact that there is, you know, they've done it in Europe, but can, can you really correlate that with the United States? And I think that uh, I appreciate the fact that Christine's group is looking into this. A couple of follow-ups for for Matt Bell on this. I mean, one is um, how much money are we talking about with iGaming? You talked about a billion dollars in funding to the state in the last year. How much would iGaming add? So that will depend on decisions made by the legislatures, particularly um, uh, around the way that they choose to to tax iGaming. Um, states have uh, approached that in a variety of fashions. Um, but when we look at the six full iGaming states, um, for the 12-month period that ended, ended in April of 2022, um, they generated iGaming revenue of about $4.1 billion. 
if we look at uh, legislation that's been offered over the past couple of years, um, notably by Senator John Ford uh, from Terre Haute, um, a tax rate of about 18% has been suggested in Indiana. We believe that over a three-year period, that will generate somewhere between 350 and $400 million in tax revenue for the state of Indiana. Um, but but that is dependent wholly on the tax rate that the legislature chooses. So if, if they do choose the 18%, which I, as I understand it, were in the last couple of bills that didn't pass last year, what's that 18% represent? Is that like every, every dollar that's, that's um, bet would 18 cents of it would go to the state? Is that what that means? That would be 18% of, of, of casino win, casino profit, if you I will. Gotcha. Okay. So, so it's not total money bet, it's that money which the casino wins when a player wagers. Okay, and then my other question is about you know the concerns of Christine and Chris and their organizations. I know that the um, that the the gaming industry, the casino association, have you all take that very seriously? How much, you know, what kind of programs do you put in place, and how much money? Like, what? I know you have to be spending money to try to make sure that that there isn't, uh, or that you mitigate whatever addiction problems that there might be, because you know you, you don't want those to happen, just like the other people don't want them to happen. So every uh, every every property in Indiana has a responsible gaming program in place. Um, they are unique to each property. Um, although all all properties um, very willingly adhere to things like the volu- voluntary exclusion program that Miss Gray described. Um, from an Indiana perspective, I'm going to struggle to give you a number. But what I can tell you is that that globally. Uh, the investment by the casino industry in responsible gaming and research that helps provide great responses for those folks who struggle with problem gaming um, exceed is in the tens of millions of dollars. The six largest companies alone provide about $45 million in funding for responsible gaming every year. So this is much more than a, than a, than a, um, than a check the box issue for our members. Um, it is part of the culture that's been established at every property in the state of Indiana. And it's one that we're we're very willing to partner with the state to improve. I think the important thing to remember is that there are folks in Indiana, as we talk today, who are wagering illegally online, uh, playing uh, casino games online on sites that are hosted uh, offshore and overseas. If you Google them right now, you could probably find, I don't know, 70 to 200. You could jump on with a credit card if you wanted. And there is no commitment there to responsible gaming whatsoever. I think our our Indiana experience shows us that when we offer an authorized, legal, regulated product that includes a commitment to responsible gaming, we're doing the right thing for the people in Indiana. So we believe that by offering this opportunity responsibly um, and and authorizing in the state of Indiana, um, we can show an increased commitment to responsible gaming both in terms of dollars and in terms of programs that, that meet the needs of that that part of the population who struggles with uh, problem gaming. So it sounds like the programs that your properties offer are separate from the state. Correct. Okay. So there is a state. There is a, a state initiative, and and Chris uh, did wonderful work during her tenure tenure at the Indiana Gaming Commission in helping to establish that. But each operator has their own company commitment to responsible gaming as well. Um, they're unique to each company, um, but they are resolute in their commitment to uh, supporting responsible gaming. Um, because I pulled this up, I just printed it off the Indiana government website before getting on. It said the state allocates $1.8 million per year to the Division of Mental Health and Addictions from the Riverboat Admission Tax. Mm-hmm. 25% of that must go to the treatment of prevention and problem treatment and prevention of problem gambling. Um, so I guess it just, uh, for the amount of money it sounds like is being generated, that doesn't sound like that much, but it also sounds like that's not all that's going to it. You are doing your own separate initiatives. Uh, you're correct, and I agree with your premise. Um, I think that the state can and should do more um, in terms of funding state-level responsible gaming initiatives. 
Um, we need to uh, uh, make sure that the resources are in place to meet those players where they are, uh, that there are uh, counselors available, um, that there is, is problem gaming treatment available. Um, I think that it is unfortunate that 75% of the revenue generated for responsible gaming is not dedicated to responsible gaming and is used for other programs. Um, so I think that we can do a better job as a state. The industry is willing to be a partner in that. And, and we are always looking for ways to improve our respective responsible gaming programs at the property level. Christine, I wanted to ask you, I, I saw um, an article, uh, our producer gave me an article that you had um, been quoted in that said that responsible gaming programs risk yielding adverse unintended consequences if not conceived and tested using scientific methods. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, it's actually, that is the case in all of science that tries to prevent problems, especially in addiction. There's a very famous story about an eating disorder uh, project on a college campus where they set up a website and they were trying to prevent eating disorders. Unfortunately, the, the result, the unintended negative result was that students were using it to learn how to have an eating disorder. And that story was told to be by staff at the National Institutes of Health to warn us that prevention always sounds great on paper, but that any form of prevention can, one, it could do nothing, it might not help at all, two, it could hurt somebody, or three, it might work. So we have to remember that, that the science, that's why the science is so important. You have to conceive these programs um, on a scientific basis. You have to make sure that they're one, safe, and one, two, that they're effective. And that's what scientific research can do for you. Finally, we really encourage regulators to continue to monitor any program, any re responsible gambling program that's in place and monitor it over time just to make sure that there aren't any problems. And I, I, it's just, for example, if you had a regulation where um, somebody's time online was uh, restricted by the operator, um, does that cause chasing losses because the person is noticing the clock and notices that they don't have a lot of time? But we don't know. I'm not saying that that happens. I'm just saying that you have to realize that any prevention can have an unintended negative consequence. Matt, I want to ask you about, about casinos. And I mean, if, if I was in a casino, I, I'm sure that lots of people are having a great time in there. Could, could you or anybody else look around and say, hmm, I think those people are maybe um, need some kind of intervention? Is that, I mean, is that a possibility if you see somebody over and over again or, you know, you talked about how, you know, on in a, in a casino, you can't necessarily tell who's losing how much if they are. Yeah, uh, certainly there's a lot of training that goes on in our properties to help identify those signs of problem gaming or, or um, uh, you know, um, certainly responsible gaming cues. And our folks train on that very diligently, um, but it is difficult. Um, it is difficult because players are, um, are, are not sedentary. Uh, they move throughout a property. They move from property to property in some cases. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult um, uh, to, to do that with a level of efficacy that you're able to do with online gaming, right? And that's because of, um, I think, some of the exciting opportunities that Ms. Riley talked about um, that, that have been implemented uh, in European jurisdictions and in some U.S. jurisdictions around tracking, tracking online play, limiting online play, um, allowing folks to opt in. And I, and I also wanna, want to um, uh, um, just, just thank Ms. Riley and, and, and reiterate her point that following the science is critical. Um, you know, our intentions are always strong. They are best when we follow the science. That's why we're so supportive of the work that she does on a national level, of the work that Chris does on a state level, um, because we want to make sure that we're implementing best practices. We think online gaming gives us a great platform uh, to grow our commitment to responsible gaming. 
Okay. Um, I want to ask Chris potentially about this. So we got this sent in from our producer. It says six to nine percent of young adults, according to the National Center for Responsible Gaming, are affected with a gambling addiction. I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on this. How do we how do we get this number and how are young people kind of coming into this type of thing? And are we seeing it anywhere else with sports betting, lottery, video games? I know I just threw a little bit at you. Is well, that for me? Oh, I'm sorry. Which one? <laughs> yeah, for, I, I, for Chris. I think it was for me, right? Oh, okay. Right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. For Chris? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's the first time I've heard uh, those percentages for young adults, but I, I can wing this. Um, <laughs> I will say that um, they have, several years ago when I first started with the council, uh, one of the numbers that they were talking about was as young as 12 start gambling. And so um, I'm not surprised. We do have a group here in Indiana out of uh, IU, as a matter of fact, that um, work um, within the middle high school and college group and they do surveys several times. And so uh, it's Prevention Insights, and it's in particular the Indiana Problem Gambling Awareness Program. So we already know that this can affect young people. A lot of times when I'm talking to people, I ask them their first experience with gambling. My first experience was um, just sitting on a relative's lap while my family sat around and played some card game. I cannot remember what it was, but they were playing for a penny, penny a hand. So even that is gambling. So we're, it, it's, it's just so prevalent in our world. How many of us went to bingo when, when you could go before, now you have to be 18 in the state of Indiana, but prior to that, um, how many of us went to bingo with our our grandparents, our parents? You know, how many of us went to school and, you know, they have casino nights at some of the schools to raise money? Mm-hmm. And the Pacers, it's 50-50. Yeah. They have a 50-50 pot now. So it's just so... It's just such a part of our lives that a lot of people don't realize even when they have a problem. So I think, you know, that's one thing that we really have to to get out there is that you can have a problem with gambling. There's such a stigmatism surrounding it because you don't ingest anything. You can't tell really when someone is actually has a problem unless you know some of the warning signs. And some of those is they spend a lot of time with gambling. It's, they're always thinking about it. They hide their losses. They'll tell you how much they won over, you know, that's a big thing. I, I won this, I won, well, how much did you lose? They gamble to escape. They suffer mood swings. They also are not, uh, they, they miss out on family events or, you know, they, they are late to work. You know, there, there are some of these signs out there. They, if they bet, their betting increases because they want to win back their losses and they try to stop gambling and they can't. Mm-hmm. So there, there are some warning signs out there. And I, I encourage you, if you have a problem with gambling or you think you do, or even if you think a relative or friend does, if you go to our website at indianaproblemgambling.org, we have all kinds of resources out there to help you. Okay. Um, I think we'll ask if any of you guys at the end of the program were coming up to it have hotline numbers you want to pull up really quickly. That'll probably be the last thing we ask you to list. But I wanted to ask really quickly, what do we know about people most interested in online gambling? Who's, um, Who's getting into it? Who's excited about it? Matt, why don't you try that? Sure. Happy to take a stab at that. So uh, we do have some pretty good information um, about what we've seen in other markets. Um, when we compare on uh, iGaming players to kind of our, our um, traditional casino players, um, we tend to see um, a little bit younger player, right? 
um, tends to be more female than male um, oh. online. Um, when we when we look at um, uh, our our um, kind of a, a, a breakdown of, of what age range those players fall into, um, about forty percent are thirty five to fifty four years old, forty four percent twenty five to fifty four years old. So that skews a little bit younger. Um, it does skew a little bit more female. Um, they tend to be um, folks who are a little bit more educated. Uh, than our than our traditional customer in a land-based casino um, with more than 50% holding a bachelor's degree or graduate degree. Um, they tend to have uh, high household incomes, 51% earning, I don't know, $75,000 or more uh, in a given year. Um, so, so that's kind of the player that we're looking at. I have a question, just sort of a general, I don't know, this is kind of my summation of a lot of things that the three of you have been talking about and just an observation. That is, it seems like, you know, gaming, gambling, gaming, what's the difference between gambling and gaming? Matt, is there a difference? You know, um, I, I, I think when, uh, yeah, I, I think from an industry standpoint, when, when we talk about uh, gambling, we're talking about a regulated activity. Okay. Certainly there are things that fall outside the purview of that. Um, and they take a variety of forms from, uh, you know, neighborhood card games to office football pools, et cetera. Gotcha. But, okay. but when we talk about it, we're really talking about those authorized legal activities and regulated activities. Okay. So that, was, that wasn't my general question. <laughs> my general question is, it seems like it's here to stay, right? I mean, it's like, uh, I don't think that we're going to go back to prohibition on alcohol. I don't think we're going to back, go back to prohibition on gambling in any way, shape, or form. So the three of you seem like you're all dedicated to uh, making sure that people do it in a safe uh, manner and, and a responsible manner. So I guess in, in the last just three or four minutes of the program, I wanted to ask each of you to, to sort of respond to that uh, sort of generalization I'm making that gambling is with us. It's going to be here. No longer is it really going to be situations where You've got groups that are just trying to keep it from happening. It's more like, how do we regulate it? What, how, what do we have? And how do we keep it safe and responsible? Um, am, I, am I right? And how, in what ways can we keep it more responsible in each of your opinions? So, Christine, if I can start with you. I think the best way to prevent problems is to make sure that you're guided mm -hmm. by the science. That is, you know, what you do in all the other health fields. Um, and so why not gambling? And find out what responsible gaming programs work, what what's not working, what's not safe, what is safe. We just have a lot of questions and we have to allow the research to play out and inform regulators and operators about how they can revise those programs if necessary. So I see there being a really important relationship between all of these players. Can I ask real quickly to you as a follow-up, is there anything in particular you're very concerned about when it comes to, um, to legislation that has either passed or been proposed? I think one thing uh, that I've gotten some calls about are the partnerships that some of the online sports betting companies are making with colleges and universities. And because that is a higher risk group, the emerging adults. And what I have said to everybody is, a lot of these companies already have fantastic responsible gambling programs in place and they should use those programs with their sports betting uh, operations. And also colleges and universities have to step up and be better about recognizing that gambling disorder is a mental health problem, that students may be more at risk for it, and there are a lot of things they can do to help. We have an entire website devoted to college gambling and that there's a lot of good advice out there. All right, Chris Gray? Um, first of all, um, go Christine on that, on the college thing because um, I, I really believe that 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 is an issue and um, the and and they already have it with the pro sports. And when they went to the college level, I, I just think it went to a, a different level. 
Um, and the big thing is to make sure that there are places out there that people can get help. Right now, you cannot get in treatment in, you cannot get um, treatment in house. The closest one, it, it's all outside of um, in treatment. In Indiana, all we have is outside treatment where you cannot go to a facility for longer than 30 days. And that's the way it is throughout most of the Midwest. And we really need more treatment centers. We need more people to get certified to be able to treat problem gamblers. And we really need to get the information out there that this is a disease and there is help. And we also need to increase our, our prevention efforts especially with the younger people. And you said that we could could give numbers out there. Yes. First of all, our website has so much information. It's www.indianaproblemgambling.org. There is also a helpline number. It's 800-994-8448 or 1-800-9-WITH-IT. You can also text Ingam, it's I-N-G-A-M-B to 53342. And if you also go to our, our website, you can chat someone right then and there. Matt, you got about 30 seconds. I want to thank uh, Ms. Riley and Ms. Gray for the work that they do and reiterate its importance. Um, I also want to reiterate our industry's commitment to promoting responsible gaming and fighting problem gaming. Indiana can do more and should do more. Uh, we stand ready to be partners in that, and we believe that by offering legal, authorized, regulated iGaming opportunities, we'll have a better opportunity um, to to uh, to to use and 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 um, issue our responsible gaming initiatives uh, to players across the state of Indiana. We look forward to the opportunity to do that. All right, thank you, Matt Bell from the Casino Association of Indiana. I've also been talking with Christine Riley from the International Center for Responsible Gaming and Chris Gray from the Indiana Council on Problem Gambling. For Benta Boutier, my co-host today, and she's also a producer of this show, along with Kathy Knapp and Nathan Moore for Engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey services for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.